Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insero, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The Alliance of Community Health Plans recently released its 2021 report on affordability. In this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with Cece Connolly, the President and CEO of the organization, about the steps that its payer members are taking to lower costs through offerings such as virtual first care, remote patient monitoring, and other new products, some of which were created because of the pandemic. So welcome to Manage Carecast, Cece. Allison, great to be with you. Can you describe a little bit about your role at the Alliance of Community Health Plans and how long you've been there? Sure. It's nearly six years now. Of course, Allison, uh, I'm so pleased to be doing this podcast because I'm a former healthcare journalist, or as I like to say, ink-stained wretch. Uh, <laughs> but after 25 years in the news business, I made the switch over and I lead the Alliance of Community Health Plans. And it is an organization comprised of nonprofit provider aligned community health plans. And I emphasize those elements because we believe it is a really terrific, unique model in healthcare today. And that's what animates and inspires us. When you say provider aligned, what does that mean exactly to you? It can mean a couple of things within our membership, Allison. Philosophically, it means that every single one of our community health plans has very tight relationships with the providers, the doctors, nurses, hospitals, et cetera, in their community. In many cases, those are the large integrated systems around the country that we all know, whether it's Presbyterian or Scott and White or Health Partners or UPMC, Geisinger, Kaiser Permanente. But then a number of our community health plans, they may not have hospitals or they may not have physician group practices, but they have those very close partnerships And it's kind of a different way of doing business because what happens is you have the plan and the provider aligning their incentives all around what's doing what's right for the patient. And so this week you released the 2021 report on affordability, and I understand it's the first of what you expect to be annual reports. Can you describe it and what it's about? Absolutely. So this is our inaugural. And if I just take a step back, uh, shortly before the pandemic, our board of directors met and um, we put together our roadmap 2030. And that's really our visioning document for where we would like to see the health system go over the next decade. Importantly, not just saying what we think everybody else ought to do, or how government ought to fix everything. But it also includes commitments by our board in some important areas because we firmly believe that everybody has to be a part of the solution. So one of the pledges that the board made in that roadmap was to issue an annual affordability report. And so we're so excited that this is the first one that really tries to put out there for anyone and everyone to take a look at 
some of the proven strategies that have worked for our community health plans in their local markets, real people saving real dollars in the hopes that maybe others will adopt some of these or at least get some good ideas. So one of the things I noticed when I looked at the report is that it said insurance premiums were reduced by as much as 10%. How exactly did the plans do that? Several different ways, Allison, and it varies. But for the vast majority of our members, again, because they are nonprofit, they are typically running on margins of maybe one to three percent. They don't have to answer to Wall Street or shareholders. And that's a good thing because they're not under that quarterly earnings pressure to show big, big profits to give back to shareholders. So most of the revenue that comes into our plans gets pumped right back into the community. And that happens in a variety of ways, but often it's dollars to hold down premium costs. In another good example, the individual exchange market, I'm sure as you know, Allison, in the early goes of the early years of that individual market, it was pretty tough sledding. Uh, Everybody was trying to figure out who those new customers and patients were and what their health status was and how expensive their healthcare was going to be. But as our members have gotten to know those patients over the years, they've really been able to put more emphasis on prevention, screening, well-being, and that's brought down costs so that in turn, our members have been able to bring those premiums in the individual market down. So those are a couple of the strategies that have worked. Your report also mentions that plans are trying to be more innovative. And two things I noticed were programs around remote patient monitoring and hospital at home. And I guess with the pandemic, we've certainly seen and and heard more about that. But can you describe more about that and what kicked it off? Was it the pandemic or were those things already in the works? Yes, what I would say was, especially for some of these leading innovators within our membership, even before the pandemic, they were working on telehealth, virtual care, remote offerings. So they had a little bit of a jump start on maybe some of the other healthcare players because they had put in place maybe some of the infrastructure, maybe they'd made some of the technology investments. And most importantly, they were working with those physician uh, partners to kind of think about delivering care differently. There were two other though critical ingredients, I would say to this really taking off. One was in fact the pandemic, as you say, because when we went into lockdown and a lot of quote unquote elective services um, got postponed, uh, you saw this phenomenal shift to virtual care, which we're super excited about overall. But specifically, when you think about patients who maybe uh, otherwise would be doing things in the hospital, Um, Maybe it's a case of pneumonia or COPD or managing certain chronic conditions or recovering from joint replacement surgery. A lot of those things would typically take place in the hospital. 
And what happened was our, a number of our members, and I'll, I'll give you the example of security health plan in Marshfield, Wisconsin, working with its partner, Marshfield Health System, because they have that model of partnership and they've got their financial incentives lined up, they were able to say, okay, fine, we don't need this revenue stream at the hospital because we can take care of these patients safely at home. So they offered patients that option. And as you can imagine, patients love the idea of not having to go to the hospital or at least maybe not stay there super long. So it's really this marvelous um, pairing of technology, some of the remote devices that uh, enable clinicians to monitor those patients in real time, often 24-7, but then having the ongoing relationship with the patient. So it really kind of took off and, and that's super exciting. The other area I'll mention where this is so vital are in rural areas. So thinking about Select Health with its partner, Intermountain in Utah and beyond, They've got a very big, wide geography. And if you can imagine in years past, maybe a premature baby born far, far away from Salt Lake City, which is their main hospital uh, headquarters. Well, in the past, you would have to medevac by helicopter that newborn premature infant to Salt Lake to get the best in-class healthcare that Intermountain could deliver right there in Salt Lake. But now with the remote technology, they can set it up so that that child and their family can stay in their local community hospital, but have all of the connections to the very best specialists in the NICU in Salt Lake. Oh, so in that case, the baby is actually still in a facility, but not in Intermountain, it's not that they're setting up the equipment and uh, exactly got it, got it. Right. So there are there are variations on this theme, and I just like to offer you know some of the different creative ways that we are seeing healthcare organizations take advantage of the technology capabilities. Sure. Is this also being used? I imagine maybe for certain chronic diseases like COPD, where perhaps patients are being monitored at home or, um, you know, cardiovascular conditions, they're sent yeah. home with equipment from a local provider and then connected with specialists. If the specialist is needed, yes. A lot of times, once you get those chronic conditions under control, you're just doing a check-in with a nurse, a physician assistant, maybe your primary care doctor, it kind of, it runs the gamut. Um, but, you know, I know plenty of our members now, they'll send out uh, the blood pressure cuff that connects to your cell phone so that your doctor is getting those readings immediately and can keep an eye on things. Uh, it's a great way to do medication management. And even some of the, uh, some of our plans have told us the stories from the pandemic of they get on a video visit with a patient and they say, okay, well, you know, take me uh, to your refrigerator and show me, 
you know, what medications you're taking or what you're eating. And, you know, doctors are saying that unlike when you're sitting in the doctor's office and maybe they'll bring a shoebox full of pills or, or not, uh, having that video visit from home, the doctor gets a complete picture of that patient and their lifestyle, and if there are any risks in the home and what all the prescriptions are. So it's really terrific. I imagine, does this also connect to issues around social determinants of health? You know, if they're seeing maybe there's not a lot of food in the refrigerator, or maybe there's a caregiver acting inappropriately in the background, or I guess they could pick up on any number of things. Yes. Absolutely. And that is another reason why we're so excited about these capabilities. I mean, it gives physicians a better understanding of the whole person. And the more that we learn about social determinants of health, health equity, you need to reach patients where they are. And so this is a great option. It may not be for everyone, but it's pretty incredible how many people are embracing it. And do patients have to opt into this to receive this? It's not a, a, a situation where their employers or someone is saying, okay, here's what you're getting. I have not heard of any instance where an employer is mandating something like this. And I don't imagine that I can speak to right now. We have at least four member companies that are selling telehealth first products. And the way those insurance policies work is that um, your first step is a virtual connection. It could be an email to your clinical team. It could be a telephone call or a video visit. And it's the, the preferred way to get as much of your care as possible. But obviously at any point in time, if the patient or the doctor says, hmm, gosh, um, it might be important for you to come into the office now, or, oh, we need to get you to the emergency department right away. Of course, that's covered. But the idea is that the virtual is the first step. And in many, many instances, it saves everyone a lot of time and trouble and money because it's the only step. Maybe it's just a simple question. I know sometimes I just email my doctor a question she sends an answer, it's all fine, and we're done. And I never have to worry about heading down, you know, to the office and parking and all of that sort of thing. So again, it's very much, um, you know, the co-designed is how um, people in the industry talk about this. The nice thing is that those telehealth products right now, so far, the premiums are running somewhere between eight and 20% less than your typical insurance monthly premium. So that's really good news. And did these products start in uh, 2020, 2021, the, the virtual first these options? products um, came directly out of the pandemic. I know in the case of at least one or two of our members, they've been thinking this way. Again, these are sort of the, the leading innovators who were kind of heading in this direction, but the impetus to actually put the product out on the market 
price it so well and and get the enrollment was certainly pandemic motivated. Are they concentrated more in one part of the country over another? Have you noticed any trends there? Mm. That's a great question. You know, I'm thinking here, we've got one in the Midwest, one in New England, one Mid-Atlantic and one West Coast. Uh, And I I think that I think that um, they're pretty well covered, maybe not the South. Interesting. And I and I guess, again, that would be another benefit for rural areas. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else I forgot to ask or that you want to mention? Well, you know, I would just say while we're talking about telehealth and um, affordability, um, most of the telehealth visits have been and will continue to be either zero copay or very low copay. So again, you're saving not only on the monthly premium, but probably on the co-pays as well, at least when it comes to our members, because um, they really want to encourage patients to take advantage of this opportunity. So there's a little bit of an incentive there and um, uh, an additional savings. So I think that's just a nice thing to underscore. And the final one, which I know, Allison, you and your listeners are aware of, but one of the really vital twists to virtual care is that it is opening up access to underserved uh, populations. We talked about rural communities, but low income, maybe people, if you think about folks that might have an hourly job or even two jobs, they're taking a bus to work, they don't have a lot of time or money to head into a doctor's office, but being able to have a quick video visit on their cell phone really enables them to not miss a lot of work or spend a lot of money on parking or buses. So it's telehealth is also um, helping with access for underserved communities. We're very pleased about that. We think more needs to be done, especially with now um, the broadband money coming from Congress. That should be another help. And the final bright spot in all of it, of course, is the access to mental health care services. And that's always been uh, such a high demand Um, almost shortage of providers. So for so many people through this pandemic who have needed that kind of support, telehealth has really opened up uh, so many more opportunities for those folks. Well, thank you very much for appearing on our podcast. This was really interesting and I learned a lot from everything you described. It's been my pleasure, Allison. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Bye-bye. For all of us at AGMC, thanks for listening. For more about this issue, visit agmc.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at agmc.com or follow us on Twitter at agmc underscore journal. And if you like Managed Carecast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.